Hello, podcast listeners. It's good to be back on this podcast channel, being able to post again. I was kind of extremely busy towards the end of the tournament that I was recently in in Las Vegas, so haven't been able to post, but um, it's good to be back to be able to talk today to you guys. The first thing we're going to be talking about today is how Nightscope has announced the new K1 Hemisphere for under $1 per hour. The next thing we're going to be talking about is apparently the some secure 2.0 retirement proposals in the Senate look different from the House version. And then here are some key provisions under the consideration. Some bill that was passed back in March about retirement savings account, it seems like. So we'll talk about it a little bit on this channel today. We're also going to be talking about how El Salvador's 425 million Bitcoin experiment isn't saving the country's finances currently right now. And finally, we're going to be talking about how ExxonMobil's CEO is cautioning against an abrupt energy transition, warning underinvestment leads to higher gas prices. With that being said, guys, before I begin this podcast, I have to remind you that I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Some of the investments that I am talking about today on this channel, I do have a small position in, namely my uh, Nightscope and ExxonMobil. I am not a professional advisor, and I'm not telling you how to finance your financial decisions or to tell you what to invest in. I cannot legally give you financial advice as I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape or form. This podcast is for information purposes only and for entertainment for those who wish to be able to listen to know what's happening in the market news. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. First off, like we just mentioned, Nightscope announces new K1 hemisphere for under $1 per hour from Mountain View Business Wire. Uh, Nightscope, the developer of advanced physical security technology focused on enhancing U.S. security operations today announced that the all-new K1 Hemisphere Autonomous Security Robot, or ASR, and is now accepting pre-orders on the company's website at nightscope.com hemisphere. The hemisphere includes the majority of the capabilities Nightscope many clients have already enjoyed today with its existing suite of technologies, but in a more compact size and affordable subscription price, it has three cameras providing 180-degree eye-level high-definition video, a strobe light, atomic license plate recognition, facial recognition, automated broadcast announcements, and intercom capability, all running fully encrypted on the 4G or 5G wireless network. The K1 Hemisphere is a perfect entry point into deploying a Nightscope Advanced Technologies for commercial property owners, residential bank ATM, uh, vestibles, truck stops, lobbies, loading docks, ports, rail, schools, and other places where the security and safety profile of the places you work, live, study, and visit may be enhanced. The interactive price will be $0.75 cents per hour and an annual on an annual contract. The optional Nightscope Plus remote monitoring services may be added for an extra $2 per hour. Nightscope has targeted to begin shipping later this year. Here's the thing that's interesting about the Nightscope situation is that when they made this announcement, normally some of their devices are like 3 to $9 an hour. Like I think the K3 is $3. The K5 might be 5 And then the K7, which is the one that looks like a car, is I think $9, if I'm not mistaken, per hour. What's nice now is this is now $0.75 cents per hour. In fact, doing the calculations, it was like $0.75 cents per hour for an entire year for having one of these robots. It's like literally, it looks like the size of a basketball, but it could be mounted on the wall. Looked like it it, it, it get close to seven grand almost per year if people were to buy into this. So Nightscope is slowly growing a little bit more each and every day. I mean, Nightscope is making a huge push currently right now, and they have some other announcements that they made as well. We're not going to talk about it as much in this today, but they're making a huge push into growing the company as quickly as possible because their mission is to make the United States of America the safest country in the world. 
and it's going to be interesting to see how this K1 hemisphere is a is a hit. I mean, 75 cents per hour, it's not that much. In fact, they when they gave their video presentation about it, they made it sound like it was going to be 99 cents per hour, and then they dropped down to 75 cents per hour. So, I mean, think about it. You can use a commercial property owners, residential, banks, ATM, uh, vestibules, truck stops, lobbies. I mean, the list goes on of where you can put this thing. So it's going to be interesting to see if Nightscope actually does start selling this product a little bit more. Their more popular one is the K5 for the outdoor uses and sometimes the K3 for indoor uses. But it's still going to be interesting to see if people will buy into this concept now. I mean, it's only 75 cents per hour. So and it's a robot that can work nonstop, whereas human guards have to take breaks once in a while. So we'll see what happens in Nightscope going forward with this new announcement. And they have more in the next coming weeks and we'll come, be able to talk about a little bit more on these podcasts. Going on to personal finance, some secure 2.0 retirement proposals in the Senate look different from the House version. Here are the provisions under consideration. From CNBC News, just three years ago, sorry, just three years after the SECURE Act ushered in the first major changes to the U.S. retirement system in more than a decade, a slew of additional modifications could be on the way. With the recent committee approval of proposals in the Senate and an already passed bill in the House, a sequel of the 2019 legislation is now more likely to happen this year. Yet it still remains unclear exactly what the final version of SECURE 2.0, as it's called, would look like. Quote, there are a lot of overlap with specific provisions that are that are some that are taking different approaches to similar objectives, said Paul Richmond, chief government and political affairs officer at the Insured Retirement Institution. Continuing on with the quote, but differences, differences need to be worked out. And that's what's in the bill. That's not in the other bills needs to be negotiated, Richmond said. Continue improvements on to saving security. The House passed its version of Secure 2.0, the Securing a Strong Retirement Act, HR 2954, in late March, with a bipartisan vote of 414 to 5. In the Senate community, the judiciary over retirement-related provisions now have approved proposals that co- collectively from the basis of the Chamber's Security 2.0 version. The Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee advanced the so-called Rise and Shine Act, or S.4353, on June 14th, and the finance community of on Wednesday gave the nod to set a more than 70 provisions, although they are not let in legislation form. The goal is to continue improving retirement savings and security, both of which appear to be exclusive for many U.S. households. Roughly a quarter of adults have no retirement savings plans at all, according to a report from PwC. Generally speaking, there is no optimism that the House and Senate will be able to uh, re- reconcile the differences in their proposals and have passed an agreed-upon version of the Secure 2.0 this year. Richmond said it is most it would it likely would be attached to a large piece of fiscal related legislation that would need to pass later in the year. If Secure 2.0 doesn't make it into law, the entire legislative process would have to start over with new proposals in a future Congress. Here are some key provisions under consideration of 2.0, some of which are same or similar in both the House and Senate Secure, and others are not. First things first, they're saying tapping into 401k funds for emergencies, which is interesting because the whole point of the 401k is to not touch it. They're also talking about increasing access to the safer tax credit, which is a little bit interesting on that. And then mandating automatic 401k enrollment for many, making part-timers 401k eligible earlier and leaving behind small 401k balances and student loans versus retirement savings. There's And then... Other things in it too are upping the catch-up contribution ante, raising the required minimal distribution age, 
improving ease of access to nudities, eliminating Roth 401k RMDs, allowing matches. It's funny that they're trying to do get this passed because I mean, 401ks, I think at least last time I had a 401k, it was like 14,000 a year you can put in pre-tax. Oh, not pre-tax. Yeah, no, be- it was before taxes because then I'd have to get taxed on it during retirement. But I feel like a lot of people don't understand that there's also the option of using a Roth IRA at times. I mean, you get taxed going into it. And when you pull it out of retirement, then you can have pretty much tax-free money. That one's a little bit more easier to use for people, at least in my opinion, because it's a smaller amount you can put in per year. It's only like right now, it's only like, I think six grand you can put in per year after taxes, but it just makes it seems a little bit more easier. And knowing government right now, they're going to somehow screw this up in some way, shape, or form, or they're going to be like, oh, you can only use this plan if you're under this set of circumstances, or you have this or this. I mean, I, I like the idea that they have on here that you're able to pull it out for emergency uses, but it, but here's the thing. They're saying here, two proposals in the Senate approved in the separate communities address access to emergency funds. One would allow employers to automatically enroll their workers in an emergency savings account, a 3% of pay that would access to at least once a month. Workers would be able to save up to 2,500 in the account and the excessive contributions will automatically go to a linked 401k account in the company. The other Senate proposal takes a different approach. It would let workers withdraw up to 1,000 from their 401k or individual retirement accounts to cover emergency expenses without having to pay a typical 10% tax penalty for early withdrawal if they have if they're under the age of 59 and a half. Under both House and Senate proposals, victims of recent da- domestic abuse would also not face a 10% penalty for withdrawing up to 10,000 from their retirement savings or 50% from the account balance, whichever is less. Somehow it's not going to I don't think it's going to really pass in the end. Government's kind of bad at these retirement plans. I mean, they can't even do the Social Security one without telling us every few years that Social Security is running out. So it's going to be interesting to see going forward how this goes through. And we'll continue to be able to talk about it a little bit more each time that they talk about it. But it is something to pay attention to. I mean, I like I said, I like the idea of being able to use the emergency fund for it as well if you had to. But at the same time, I feel like people would use it too much for their emergency savings fund at the end of the day. So <clears throat> onto the crypto world now. El Salvador's $425 million in Bitcoin experiment isn't saving the country's finances. El Salvador bets its economic salvation on Bitcoin, but so far the gamble isn't paying off like President uh, Buckley hoped it would. The government crypto coffers have been cut in half. Bitcoin adoption nationwide isn't really taking off, and crucially, the country needs a lot of cash fast to meet the debt payments of more than $1 billion in the next year. This comes as the price of Bitcoin has fallen more than 70% from its November 2021 peak and more than 55% from the time um, Bukili announced his plan. Meanwhile, El Salvador's economic growth has plummeted, its deficit remains high, and the country's debt-to-GDP ratio, a key metric used to compare what a country owes to what it generates, is set to set to hit nearly 87% this year, stoking fears that El Salvador isn't equipped to settle its loan obligations. Pair these economic woes with the renewed war on gang violence, and you have all the fixings of a country on the brink. Quote, on the surface, the whole Bitcoin thing hasn't really paid off, said um, Boaz Sobardo, a London-based fintech data analysis. It isn't Bitcoin's fault that the government is edging towards financial ruin. The government has an unrealized paper loss on Bitcoin of around 50 million, with the finance minister notes it's less than 0.5% of the national budget. And the um, 
sorry, and they irrigate the entire experiment and then the association costs have only run the government around $374 million, according to estimates. That's not that's nothing, especially considering that the fact that El Salvador has $7.7 billion of bonds outstanding, but to an economy of $29 billion, it is comparatively small. The optics aren't good, though. The negotiations have stalled with international lenders, in part because they are unwilling to throw money at a country that is spending millions in tax dollars on cryptocurrencies, whose price is prone to extreme volatility. Rating agencies, including Fitch, have knocked down El Salvador's credit rating, citing the uncertainty of the country's financial future, given the adoption of Bitcoin as a legal tender. That means that it is now more expensive for President uh, Bokili to borrow more much-needed cash. I'm also wondering, too, if Central Africa, because I think Central Africa accepted it as well, too. I wonder if they're starting to feel the pain. Wasn't able to find as much on them to, to be able to talk about this article, but I mean... If, if, El, if El Salvador's right and Bitcoin eventually does bounce back, I mean, Bitcoin is getting hammered heavily, then will they write an article about how El Salvador made a gamble and now they're one of the richest countries in the world? It's hard to tell. Bitcoin has been falling a lot in price recently. I mean, I think we talked about recently how it dropped below 17,000, at least the last time we spoke about it. Not sure what Bitcoin's at currently for prices right now, but... Bitcoin is still one of those things where you have some people who firmly believe in Bitcoin. They do. Okay. 21 million that can still only be printed in existence. Okay. Or I guess coded in this point. It's not like the US dollar where you constantly can be printing and just lose the value of the of your dollar with inflation. And then you have the crazy policies that they're trying to put in the Federal Reserve just to make sure the U.S. dollar doesn't collapse with it because of it. So continuing on the article says, in terms of financial situation, El Salvador is in a very difficult place. They have a lot of bonds that are trading severely discounted, continue Sobrado. The economy policy of the country is estimately a magical thinking, said Frank Mucci, a policy fellow of the, at London School of Economics who has experience advising governments in Latin America. Quote, they've spoken that be, be, be Jesus out of the financial markets and the IMF, continue Musi, who tells CNBC that nobody wants to lend money to uh, Bokili unless it's eye-gouging rates of 20% to 25%. Yeah, I still want to know what's going to happen the minute Bitcoin does start rebounding. It's a little weird that Bitcoin hasn't been rebounding because that's all we've been hearing about is a recession. I mean, I think this is like the time when Bitcoin is supposed to be the most valuable. So... It needs to be able to be paying attention a little bit more, guys, to what's happening with Bitcoin because it might also determine El Salvador's fate if El Salvador survives this, obviously. On to the next article. ExxonMobil CEO cautions against an abrupt energy transition, warning underinvestment leads to high gas prices. You know, all we've been hearing recently, especially with Joe Biden administration, is high gas prices are because of Russia. High gas prices are high because oil companies aren't drilling. We've been covering a lot about oil because that's what's been talked about a lot. And I'm totally fine with being able to keep talking about oil because, well, it's oil. And it's an investment. But this is what's happening with the CEO of ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods warns that the abrupt transition to renewable energy will cause society to pay a high price. The national average for price of gasoline, oh, sorry, for the, the national average price for a gallon of gasoline is currently near $5, causing strife for all drivers, according to AAA. Yeah, so uh, when I, like I told you guys last, I was in Las Vegas. Coming home, gas cost me about five sixty nine a gallon. And obviously with reward points, it dropped down a bit. But 
In Las Vegas currently right now, it's about $5.69 a gallon. In California, in some parts, it's now over $6 a gallon. Okay, so how much longer until it's $6 across the nation? Now, granted, everything is a little bit more expensive in Las Vegas, but still, something I just wanted to point out there. In an interview with CNBC, Dave Faberwoods cautioned against a government policy that fails to balance the current demand for affordable energy with the need to lower, for, sorry, for the need for lower emissions. He said that the underinvestment in the oil and gas industry correlates to higher gas prices. Instead, Woods continues his call for a price on carbon to create a market incentive for lowering emissions. In addition to impacting families who depend on affordable energy, Woods said that rising oil and gas prices have already pushed the consumers in Europe to use other fossil fuels like coal rather than renewable energy. Charlene Nager is an American activist in Ghana, where ExxonMobil recently invested $10 billion in a fourth offshore oil production project. She told Faber that all oil development should stop saying the negatives in the long term outweigh whatever positives may be reaped in the short term. Catherine Hayhoe, chief scientist at the Natural Conservanists stressed that the importance of transitioning away from fossil fuels, she cautioned, quote, if we don't fix climate change, it will fix us. When Faber asked Woods what ExxonMobil will look like in 10 years, he predicted that the company may continue to participate in the oil and gas exploration, although it will be also emerging in renewable energy solutions like biofuels. As ExxonMobil's navigations the energy transition, Woods emphasizes his commitment to balancing existing demands for affordable energy with the needs of future as well with lower emissions. We've talked about this last week, actually, too, or maybe it was a couple podcasts ago. You have countries like Germany, the Netherlands, and I think it was Italy that are having to restart their coal plants a little bit more to meet the demand of energy because they're not having as much gas coming through to their country. At the same time, you have countries like Panama, who's building a biofuels place down there for the jet fuel industry or at least for the airline industry for flying and europe is now so desperate to get oil that they're getting it from africa or at least some nations in africa and you have india who's still buying cheap oil from russia and they're getting it from africa as well with china most likely buying it as well but we haven't been able to find reports that china has been buying as much from russia but i'm like i said i'm pretty sure they are But like I just mentioned, you have three countries right now that are admitting Germany, Netherlands, and I think Italy was the third one that are saying that they're going to have to use coal now because they're going to have an energy crisis potentially come winter. And their goal now is to save as much gas as possible for this upcoming winter. Okay. Here's what's happening now in France. Okay. And the CEO is right for ExxonMobil. What's happening says here, and this was reported today on Sunday, French energy giants urge consumers to cut energy use. Okay. From Paris, the heads of France's big energy companies on Sunday urged individuals and businesses to limit power consumption immediately to prepare for the looming energy crisis. Quote, we need to work collectively to reduce our consumption in order to regain room to maneuver, the chief executive of NGEDF and Total said in an open letter published by weekly newspaper journal Du Dimanche. The letter signed by Eugene Catherine McGregor EDF's Jean uh, Bernard Levy and Total Energy's Patrick, I don't even know how to say his last name, sorry on that one, cited sharp declines in Russia gas shipments as well as limited electricity generations because of maintenance issues. France aims to fill its gas shortage facilities by early autumn. That sounds familiar because Germany is doing the same thing, I believe. Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne said on Thursday the country's gas shortage sites are 59% full at present. 
Russian invasion of Ukraine has thrown the spotlight on the European re- resilience on Russian gas, promoting a scramble to find alternative energy sources. French media reported in March that the government was in talks with Total Energies about boosting capacity to receive LNG after the United States said that it was prepared to increase deliveries to Europe. Once again, now probably the United States gases are going to go up. Prices are going to go up too because we're having to give more out instead of drilling more in our own country to be able to give it to our own citizens, I guess. But continuing on, quote, taking soon as soon as this summer will allow us to better prepare for at the start of next winter, notably the for presenting, sorry, for preserving our gas reserves. The energy company executive said that in their letter, adding that the effort to limit consumption should be immediate, collective, and massive. They cited their own efforts to find new sources of gas and build a floating liquefaction natural gas LNG terminal in the north northern part of La Havre. Ha, sorry, Le Havre. France recently extended its mechanisms for regulating gas prices to the end of the year, originally scheduled for running through the end of June. The system is meant to limit the effects of soaring energy prices on consumers' purchasing power. Yeah, we're gonna. This energy crisis can continue to get worse. I mean, I, I I had mentioned this last time. I wonder how the Netherlands, like, because the, the Netherlands, Germany, and Italy are already getting ready for winter, and they're having to potentially use more coal. France is now having to save more energy as well for gas. So, how much longer till we start reading reports that the Nordic countries like Sweden, Finland, and Norway have to do the same thing too? Or what about Denmark when they have to start doing it as well? Or what about Lithuania or Estonia? Or uh, I guess Spain might not have any issues. I think Spain's a Mediterranean climate, climate, so they might be able to be okay. Southern part of France might also be okay too, because I think they're in Mediterranean climate as well. But the northern part might have more issues. And then it makes me also wonder too, Is but then again, Italy is also in the Mediterranean climate, and now they're going to be using more cold for their energy issues as well. Something tells me gas prices are just going to keep skyrocketing in Europe soon. It's going to get really ugly. And I wouldn't be surprised if the United States media, well, maybe they'll talk about it. Who knows? Maybe they will. Maybe they'll show the riots that are potentially going to start happening in Europe if gas prices keep going up because of this whole this whole thing. Maybe this finally officially ends the Green New Deal debate in the United States. Or maybe it makes more of a push to be able to make it. But there will be an energy crisis coming, guys. It's going to be insane. It will be. I mean, gas prices keep going up. How much longer until people start revolting in the streets? Or at the same time, how much longer until people say they've had enough and they tell their governments we want to be able to start drilling more? Because here's the thing. Joe Biden's already canceled leases on federal land in Alaska for drilling. And he's also prevented the other drillings too. I mean, it's good to see that ExxonMobil is able to build their, their new facility. But that takes time. That takes on average about three years to build. Maybe even longer, depending on how rough the seas are. Or if it's a land one, it'll take about a year. But it's still going to be insane. There's going to be a huge energy crisis. And I mean, in Las Vegas recently, one of the hotels that across from where I was staying at had lost power. Okay. Now, granted, Las Vegas during that this last week for me was about on average about 102 in the temperature. And in fact, I think even part of our hotel lost power a little bit too, but we didn't really get to feel it as much. But there, there's going to be rolling blackouts soon, potentially. I mean, I, I'm not a predictor of the future, but 
It probably will happen. Got to get more energy, guys. Got to find cheap alternatives. Can't always just try to destroy the whole system before things go insane. So CEO's right, though. Gas prices will continue to go up. Go, keep going up. How much you want to bet Joe Biden's going to keep blaming gas companies and how much money they're making soon, too, as well. Keep an eye out for that, guys. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. I ask that if you have, that you please like and subscribe to this podcast as every like and subscription that we get can help grow this podcast so we'll be able to keep talking about what's happening in the markets and what, what's happening at times. I also ask, too, that you please share with friends or family as, as that is able to help grow our podcast as well. Because maybe, who knows, maybe you have friends or family who want to be able to know what's happening at all times but don't feel like being able to look at all the news sources at the time. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye.